Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. This episode is sponsored by Try Vegan, a vegan meal home delivery service that is nutritious and delicious and makes your life easier. Based out of New Jersey, they deliver throughout the Northeast. Check out more details on their website, tryveganmealprep.com. And you can get 25% off your first order with the promo code LITYOGA. So go vegan. Good movement and welcome to Redefining Yoga, a lit yoga podcast, which is designed to investigate all aspects of the modern evolution of yoga from my background as a physical therapist and lover of movement. My mission is to help everyone find freedom through smarter and safer movement patterns so together we can be uplifted, benefiting all beings. Welcome to Wednesday Q&A where you all ask the questions and we answer We, as in me and my fearless co-host, Kristen Williams, physical therapist, wonderful friend, lit senior teacher extraordinaire. Hey, everybody. So glad to be here. This is like one of my favorite things to do every other week. I know. I know. We're going to have to have this in person at some point and like have like a, like a audience asking questions. How fun would that be? That would be so fun. Like with wine and just like, oh my gosh, we're going to do that. We'll be like, take it on the road because we're, you know, with our experience and our background, of course, there's going to be things we're not sure about, but we have so much information that like, we could just like, you know, we don't need questions ahead of time. We can just answer, it. just like we do here. Really? Yeah. I don't look at them. Take it on the road. No. That's great. No. Take it on the road. All right, people. Let us know if that's what you want. Okay. So Galita Yoga, that would be our fearless poppy. Asked, when someone says yoga is not my thing, but they are suffering from bad posture, what to do? Well, I will give you my answer. And so Poppy is a teacher, a lit teacher. She's gone through our training. She's in our lit level two right now. and just as many people do when they go through our training, and we've had hundreds, it's like you become awake. You become awake to your own imbalances and how your own postural kind of habits. And then we talk a lot about observing. So you begin to observe others. And there's people that you care about, people you don't even know, but you want to care about, that you're like, you see their posture and it it like starts to pain you. It's, it's really coming from a place of compassion. Yeah. So... There's a couple things. If someone says yoga is not my thing, then you could ask, you, like I always ask questions. You know, I, I think the best thing to do is to guide people with your questions and then look for the opening where you can have a conversation about how you might be able to help them, whether it's your already existing yoga teacher or you happen to know a lot about the body. So if you see somebody with really bad posture and they're like, yeah, yoga is not my thing, you can say, hey, this is based on functional movement. And which is based on 
you know, postural alignment, and here are the benefits, and you start naming them. I think it's always good to meet people where they are, and the, but tell them the benefits of practicing a certain way or paying attention to their posture, paying attention to their posture when they're standing at their desk, asking them, you know, do you notice that you have any chronic aches, pains, or something? I think asking questions and then telling them the benefits is such a great way. I, as we often talk about, going into a side door instead of a direct front door confrontation is always the best approach, but especially with somebody who is reticent, reluctant, doesn't feel like it would be their thing. And then at the end of the day, also knowing that you can't be responsible for everybody. It can pain you and you're going to have to exist anyway right? Like our job is not to go around policing posture. It's to educate people how to have more energy, how to feel better. And in that, teaching them about the posture, but they have to be like a willing participant. And if they're not ready for that, we got to be okay with that. That's what I have to say about it. And I think the key to what you just said right there is educate. You know, I found that, and this goes with physical therapy too. People would come into me and they've been like, I've tried physical therapy. My doctor said I have to do this because the insurance says I have to do this in order to get the MRI because blah, blah, blah. And it's like, okay, so what did you do in your physical therapy? Because just like physical therapy, yoga, it's not all created equal. And for people who have poor posture and are, I think, afraid of yoga, it's because they're thinking of what they think yoga is. Or maybe they've been to a yoga class, which quite frankly doesn't appeal or isn't right for them or what's the word I'm looking at, you know, it's focused towards the hyper bendy that mm-hmm. traditional yoga really caters to people who maybe look like they have great posture because they're hyper flexible. And so I'm thinking of the person that maybe Poppy's talking about who has poor posture because they sit a lot, they aren't flexible, they aren't active, they aren't mobile. And so yeah, yoga would sound terrible to me too, the idea of yoga that you have. And so to your point of going in the side door, which is what I would do with physical therapy, begin by educating them, educating them about the importance of posture, educating them about... As soon as I started talking to people about how their body moved, why they may be feeling the way they were, looking at how they moved, been like, oh, well, that makes sense why your back hurts. Their ears pricked up. I swear no one had told them this stuff before. And once they get invested in the whys, be educated about the hows, there's a thirst for knowledge because nobody likes being in pain. Nobody likes feeling stiff. And when they get an understanding that, oh, you mean what I'm doing every day might be affecting that? It's not just because I was born this way. Oh, my hamstrings have always been short. Well, I don't have great hamstring length, but I'm moving really well. You know, so there's a lot of that. Oh, but my x-ray says I have stenosis. Well, so does our friend Julie, who is an amazing practitioner. And you know, so you can think of, there's a lot of excuses that people can fall back on because they aren't educated. And as soon as you go in that side door of education and start talking to them and they become invested, and then, yeah, you're not putting them in a yoga class. These are your perfect private clients. So you say, you know what? Let's do a half hour session together. And maybe you never get to a yoga flow. You just start with the reset. And they see how much better they feel. Those are the ones who are like, okay, I'll sign up next week. Let's do another half hour. And then, okay, I give them a little homework to do. 
And then they do a little bit better next week. And then, you know, they're coming back for more. So going in the side door, not coming at them hard with full-on yoga flows, educating them about their body, why it might feel the way it does based on what you're seeing with your educated eye goes so far because human beings, we're curious creatures and we want to feel good. It's like the carrot. Once you put that little bait out there, it's like a rolling stone, you know, just this big domino effect. And so it's a beautiful thing. Poppy, you, you've seen it, you've done it with people, you've amazed yourself. Uh, so keep on keeping on. And then yeah, go in that side door. Love it. Yes, absolutely. And I would just add to that, it's also great to let people know that they are not destined, as you were mentioning, that you're not destined to be like this forever. So I often will talk about, well, some people who have bad posture or and the repercussions of that, you know, used to play golf or something, for example, and they just don't anymore because it doesn't feel good. And I think it's good to know, like, you can age well. You can continue to do activities the way you did before. You want to be able to get down on the floor with your grandkids and play or get down on the floor with puppies and play. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like that kind of everyday movement. We want to have joy in it. And we also want to feel like we can do it without restrictions. Next question, Ange78, wheel pose. So for everybody who's not yoga people who are listening, wheel is this kind of classic backbend where your hands are on the floor, your feet are on the floor, and you're just doing a big old looking, like almost like a bridge, but it's off the ground. Arms are straight. Where should extension be happening? L1, S5, or up in the thoracic spine? Hmm. Hmm. Well, I mean, I think we would say you ideally would have more of a universal extension. So it would be, yeah, it would look like a, a, a beautiful parabola and not be a kinked hose in any way or you know, not in any particular area. Now, you're going to have more mobile areas of your body. You, you, know, you have more extension in your lumbar spine and in your cervical spine than you have in your thoracic spine. So you're going to see more there, but we really ideally want to see extension in your hips to take it out of your spine. So people forget about the, the mobility of the hips is much greater than the mobility of the spine. So if we can get it in the hips, you do need an open chest. You need an open shoulder, which is actually flexion of the shoulder. But ideally, we don't want to see it in any particular area. It should, in most cases, look a little bit more open. But better mobility in your hips is going to make your wheel feel less Less like a pyramid and more like a, you know, like what I'm trying to say, like more yeah. of a. Oh, of an totally. Arc. Like yeah. you should feel like you could have a little dinner on somebody's <laughs> pelvis. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, that pelvis should really be kind of almost horizontal. And what that, what you're like, that king toes feeling is where you're overdoing it. And actually, to your point, asking the question here, Ange, is you don't want it really that much in the lumbar spine mm-hmm. um, because. That's going to naturally go there, but the area that you're talking about, probably L5, S1, those transitional places between the different um, segments of the spine are going to have the ability to create more movement. But like Kristen said, we want this universal extension. And what that means is all of the joints, the, the spaces between the vertebra are staying kind of equally doing the same thing versus some are doing a little extension and then one really pops up and does more extension. And when you have that, it is like a kink in the hose. And and that kink 
is indicating it's dysfunctional, actually, because the energy running through there is now dispersed. And so the load around it will be greater. And then the compression in that area will be greater. So where people fall into trouble is just wanting to execute the pose. And so I think there's a lot of, you have to, like to KB's point, you have to prepare those hips. The anterior pelvis has got to be more open so you can get that adequate hip extension and you're not going into the lumbar spine. That's where a lot of people go. And then they they wonder why they, why they always hate backbends because it hurts, yeah. you know? And it's like, it shouldn't hurt. It should feel challenging mm-hmm. because you are trying to create this universal curve, by the way, with some stabilization around it. So you're not just letting the belly just expand up. You have some tone there that then helps move some of that work throughout. Think about, like I always say, like think about pulling taffy or creating space. You need a counter to it. So your feet are grounded, you're lifting up an extension, and you have just a little bit of tone in the front body so that you're not just letting one in area poke up, but it spreads out the workload. People don't have enough shoulder mobility, thoracic spine extension. So they'll, again, try and compensate in the head of their lumbar spine. So wheel is, people who take our lit classes know, we do not throw this in willy-nilly. I was always shocked that in every freaking vinyasa class, they're like, and now we'll go into a wheel. And I thought, this is kind of random. Like throw this wheel in towards the end. And yet, yes, yes, you're warm, but there hasn't been this intentional, like, purposeful going to certain areas and really preparing. It was like, and so people would try it. And often again, they're try, they're executing the movement without it being the way we'd like it to be. So yeah. it is a pose that we really believe you need to do. Like if I were to teach wheel, I want an hour and a half class and I'm going to use every second of it. That's yeah. how much time it takes for the average person, I'm not talking about the gymnast, the yeah. nimble person. I'm talking average person coming in, even with a lot of yoga experience, to fully prepare for a really satisfying, delicious wheel. And then even, not everybody's going to do it. And then even then, yeah. there's like, you, I can look in a room and if there's 30 people, maybe four are in a full wheel. Yeah. Maybe so, four. Yeah. Yeah. That just shows you how the body is not prepared for that type of spinal extension because a lot of people don't have the freedom in the The anterior pelvis and the shoulders. Yeah. All right. This is a question that, you know, we are not really experts, but I thought, okay, let's, let's go with it. This is Elizabeth Fryer. BMI, which stands for body mass index. Is it really that good a predictor of health? I guess it's the best thing we have for now. Calculation is same for men and women, which doesn't seem right. I... Do not know the answer. I'll be honest. I, you know, here's what I do know. I do know that the like having children, you you go, your baby gets weighed, measured, and then they fit into this chart, and that average is pretty average. You know what I mean? Like it's based. So I always think it's kind of like reading and everything else. We base things to the lowest mean. I think, and it's probably the same with body mass index. I don't know, like what this is based on because you know for some people for average body mass i don't even know what it is i think it's like 25% for women is kind of average yeah you know that could be really low or it could be really high depending on the population you know you talk about a group of runners 
that's going to be on the high end for a woman, for, yeah. you know, for women and certainly for men, men are lower. But for somebody who is built a different way, but is super fit and healthy, that might be on the low end. So I think it is one piece, but I would look at many other things because I've worked with people of all different sizes and shapes. And what I'm more interested in is how are they breathing? How are they moving? How are they holding themselves in space? You know, if you have more body mass, is it mass? Is it muscle? How is it functioning in movement? And really the endurance too, because that can be, if you are heavier, if you're denser, is it affecting your endurance? Do you have any thoughts on that? I'm not an expert on this either. I mean, we learned all about it way back when, even in, even an undergraduate, it was kind of coming out back stone ages. But you know, what, what amazes me about BMI and what's interesting about BMI right now, it is a predictor. It's a way to get your COVID vaccine. So I have oh. friends who, if you are, get this, if you have, it's like 26.1 means you're obese. I have friends of more of an Asian, they're Asian nationality who are shorter, but stockier. I would guess the body fat on this individual I'm thinking of, his body fat is probably 12%, but he is short and muscly. So his BMI has him as obese. So he's like, well, I'm going to go get my COVID vaccine. I was like, hell yes, you are. Because like, so I don't get that. And I don't get people who are shorter have, are supposed to be what, you know, way less. And then me, I'm tall. So I'm way under BMI. Yes, I'm, I'm very lean, but I would have to be large. Like I would have to, I think, almost look obese to hit maybe obese on the, right, not look obese, but you know what I mean? So I just don't get it. Yeah. I, I, I'm yeah, not, I don't think that, you know, it's one of those numbers I've never been interested in. No. Because I feel like, and this is probably important for those of you, especially if you're kind of already critical of yourself. Like, I don't think any number is going to make you feel great. Okay. You know what I mean? You know, because you might be like, wow, I thought I'd be less. I mean, I think how they measure it, you know, like your upper arm and your waist. I just, I'm sure there's, uh, there are obviously, you know, more technologically advanced measures of that. But getting back to like with my kids, it was always interesting. Yeah. yeah, the height weight thing, it was like, it wasn't a really good marker because it's based on an average mean. And I think it doesn't take into consideration. Probably an average white person, to be honest. Yeah, exactly. An average <laughs> white, I mean, it's really average white male. You know, yeah. it's really like these me- these measurements are really kind of archaic in some ways. Um, so again, I would be much more interested in like endurance, resting heart rate, recovery, things yeah. that are also measurable, but that aren't going to take into consideration your size, or your height or whatever, yeah, because cons- everybody, like we are all, we're descended from all different genetic types and that worked for wherever we came from, you know? And, and so I think it's a matter of like, how is it working now? How is it affecting us now? Well, there are going to be people think, yeah. who are like, it's like, you know, going into ballet, they're going to be people or gymnastics. They're going to be people who are going to like grow out of that. Yep. And they just, that's their body type. They're not fitting into this particular sport. So yeah, it might at some point, determine like what kind of activities you do. But as long as you're strong and active, I, I think it's less of a determinant. Well, and especially when you figure that muscle weighs more than fat. So somebody yeah. who is thicker in muscle, more muscle bound, they're going to weigh more no matter their height. 
So yeah, I think I'm not a big fan of BMI, but I understand everything has its point and its purpose. Yeah. I have so many questions uh, from people. So I'm going to go and ask about, this is from Fee Ballard. I get a crunchy sacrum and some pain, usually when in Shavasana or knees to chest. Tips. Hmm. I mean, that is a little bit of a, um, that's, that's giving us a glimpse. My first gut is going to say, you've, there's tissue tightness around there, you know, and that like all around the sacrum, there's a lot of different muscular attachments and knees to the chest, you're posteriorly tilting, you're pulling on the erector spinae, the connection of the erector spinae has a erector ligament that attaches there. You've got the piriformis underneath. I mean, my gut is that you probably have overactive extensors and bringing them in there is just pulling on some of the attachments of surrounding muscles, which would be around the sacrum. Crunchy might just be that you're just like bony there, but the fact that it doesn't feel good when you bring the knees to, to the belly is more indicative of some kind of fascial pull. Do you yeah. have any? Yeah, well... And again, the crunchy, I wonder if she actually hears crunching. Is it poppy? Is it, you know, like what, or does she feel a sensation of grinding? You know, what is she feeling? And so my, especially in the area of the sacrum, you know, when you think about the SI joints, they're pretty well tied down with ligaments. So to your point, you know, we've got some strong connective tissue back there. So when she's pulling her knees into her chest, again, I'm always going to ask myself, all right, what else isn't moving well? Is it the connective tissue or how is her hip flexion? You know, knees to chest, it's available to a lot of people to bring those knees into your chest, but not for everybody. So if your knees can't really fully flex, are you moving in the sacrum and the SI joint? Are you moving in the low back? Are you, you know, that would definitely take a deeper look at what she looks like, especially with the term crunchy and in Shavasana too, you know, so What's happening there? Is she a little hypermobile? She, you know, to where then she goes into Shavasana and she tilts anteriorly and, and gets a little compression back there in her sacrum slash lumbosacral joint. Crunchy is a is a is a different difficult term to yeah. Um, I would like to deep dig deeper into that, but I think we yeah. Would so need if to you're listening, make yeah. fee. It was fi. Uh, you know, let us know a little bit more details. But I think. Also in Shavasana, this just brings up an opportunity to just say like, feel like you can put something under your legs. Yes. Feel like you can bend your knees. I always say that as an option, if you don't have like a bolster or blocks, have your feet wide on the mat, let the knees drop in. And that action of the knees dropping in is like almost like a little tripod and you can they can support each other and then you can still get the relaxation. But if you're uncomfortable in Shavasana, there is no point in staying uncomfortable in Shavasana. No like yeah. give yourself some support. So I think like like what KB was saying, I, it could be that you're popping, your pelvis is tilting and, and that exaggerated curve there is putting pressure on the sacrum. So I hope that helped, but you can feel free to write us. And as always, you guys can write us on our Instagrams. I'm Laura.Hyman. Kristen is KBWilliams99. Send us direct messages. That's how we get a lot of these questions when I ask for questions on Instagram. But don't hold back. Send us messages. And send us responses if you um, have any deeper questions to some of the things that we covered. If you're an expert in BMI, for instance. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Kristen, as always. You're welcome. 
Love you guys. And to all of you, we are pulling for you and we'd love it if you shared our podcast with anybody you think might benefit hearing from us. And please subscribe, rate and review. We'd really appreciate your support in that way. As always, we're pulling for you. Bye everyone. Late bloomers tend to have more curiosity. They tend to have more resilience. There are stories and mythology that this country has woven around black men. What if everything we've been taught is just all wrong? What's worth more than this fear right now? And that rising after failure is part of the glory of being a human being. Listen to deeply personal, insightful, and thought-provoking stories from the world's leading thinkers and doers. Listen and subscribe to The Unmistakable Creative wherever you get your podcasts.